This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. This week on the podcast we're joined by physical education tutor from Murray House, Edinburgh University, Brodie Runciman. Following completion of the B.Ed. physical education degree at Murray House, Brodie taught at Bell Baxter High School for seven years. During this time, he experienced different roles, including Head of Rugby, Principal Teacher of Guidance, and Head of Participation and Attainment. Brodie has taught and contributed towards SQA national courses and is currently a marker for the SQA Advanced Higher PE project. Right, how are you doing, uh, Brodie? Welcome to A Wee Bit of Everything. Hi, Clark. Hi, Lewis. Thanks so much for having me on. I've uh, listened to a few of your podcasts, so um, I feel quite privileged to be here with you. No, it's great to have you on. Um, that's us into episode sixty something now, so we're we're uh, getting we're getting through them. But we're, it's great to have you on. It's been good to speak to you over email. But it's actually it's brilliant to have uh, you on tonight uh, to share your ex- expertise on the teaching games for understanding model, which has gained some interest among PE teachers that I've been speaking to uh, recently. So, and certainly conversation I've had with Lewis as well over the last few weeks. We've been planning some lessons uh, with the questioning throughout it. So. I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on, you know, your experience with it. So before we get into that side of it, could you give us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I graduated from, from Murray House in 2010. I was on the, the four-year B.Ed. course and went on and did my probationary teaching year down, down in the Scottish Borders. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that, but then at the end of that year, um, there was no, no jobs at the school and, and not very many in that local authority. So I opened myself up to the whole of Scotland really and just started applying for jobs here, there and everywhere. And I was very lucky and I got offered a position up in Fife, Bell Baxter High School. And it was just a, a short term contract at the time and uh, gradually it got made longer and longer until it was, was permanent. And so ended up staying at that school for for seven years actually, and took on a number of different roles at the school. I was head of rugby for a number of years. It was quite a big rugby playing school. Um, And then I moved and did a couple of years as a principal teacher of guidance, uh, which was extremely challenging, but uh, quite rewarding as well, looking back on that. Yeah, yeah, loved loved my time at that school. Um, I did a lot of sort of extracurricular things, if you like. I, I did World Challenge Expeditions, and so I went to Thailand, Laos, and Sri Lanka with groups of fifth and sixth year um, pupils, and, and they were just amazing opportunities. We were away for a month at a time, um, and I just couldn't believe that was my job. I was getting paid to sort of travel the world with these groups. What, was, what was that doing over there? We did. It, it split up into four sort of sections, so you've got a month um, and you've got a week-long sort of trek or expedition where you're, you're sort of staying in the rainforest and, and hammocks and things. Mm-hmm. 
you do a week's sort of community work either in a school uh, you know sort of helping to teach we were we were digging a well in one school and we were building a, a sort of flood defense in a, in a school as well um, but rather than actually doing the physical work it's more about learning about their community and, and them learning about us and Mm. learning about global citizenship if you like rather than doing the work itself so a massively rewarding experience you know for the pupils and myself I hadn't actually traveled much before it and it, it really opened my eyes up um, to a lot of different opportunities um, mm. not to mention was, the not to mention the food ah uh, the food oh the food in Thailand was amazing <laughs> Brilliant. Thailand uh, was was something else for the food I actually went back for the one summer holidays after because I loved it so much uh, <laughs> Sri Lanka, I ended up eating a dodgy curry and uh, that didn't go down so well. I <laughs> sort of wiped out a week of my expedition there, um, but certainly, yeah, the food, food was amazing. Uh, it sounds like a great life experience for the, the kids and the skills that they must have developed over there. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, they got the chance, they were like leader each day. You had a nominated leader and they were in charge of the budget. And um, basically, as, as a leader, I just sort of shadowed them. So they had to book their own accommodation, organise their own meals, plan their own activities within the budget, um, which was it was quite comical. You know, I remember on the sort of first week there, we had, to, we had like a six hour bus journey and the bus left at seven o'clock and they planned to have breakfast at like quarter to seven. Um, <laughs> And we obviously missed the bus. So but as as leaders, we weren't allowed to step in and say, oh, I think you need to be up a bit earlier than that. So the whole idea yeah. of expeditions was for them to make their own mistakes and then try and learn from it and try to mm-hmm. resolve the errors. Um, but by the final week, things are ticking along pretty well. And, and we we're just following them around and, and they've got things up and running um, pretty smoothly. So yeah, that's if anyone has the chance to to do the World Challenge expeditions, hopefully if things open up again, then I'd, I'd highly recommend that. Yeah, that great. Yeah, no, no, that was good. So the end of that seven years, um, you know, I was still enjoying my time there, but I just felt ready for a new challenge. Um, I remember in the staff room they were giving out certificates to teachers who'd been there for twenty-five years. It's like, well done, you've done twenty-five years at Bell Baxter, and I just thought I didn't want that to be me, and I could see that being me if I if I stayed longer than I than I had. And um, I was looking for a fresh challenge and. A new experience um, and then I luckily got the job at University of Edinburgh about two and a half years ago now and um, so I'm actually working alongside some of the staff and um, who lectured and tutored me when I was at university so they maybe forgot what I was like as a student to give me the job I'm not too sure um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very lucky to be there now um, and I'm lucky because I'm very much working with the students I'm, I'm still a PE teacher I teach a lot of the practical courses um, and I'm working with students who want to learn about PE and who are passionate about PE. So um, it actually makes my job pretty easy doing these practical yeah. sessions, coming from um, doing sort of guidance work and things. It's almost the, the sort of opposite end of that spectrum, which, which is quite a nice change. Should you work with the undergraduate and, and the postgraduate? Uh, I work you... mostly with undergraduate. I do a bit of the postgraduate and um, I do placement visits with the postgrad course where I go out and see them teach. Um, and I do a couple of practical sessions with the postgrad, but most of it is with, with undergraduate and um, teach skill acquisition in first and third year. And I teach on some of the pedagogy courses as well, looking at teaching styles and, and teaching models. So. Nice one. Right, so before we get into the sort of teaching games for understanding uh, the nitty gritty of it, then before we do that, could you maybe tell us like what attracted you to uh, this model in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
suppose it's, it's a little bit of a journey to, to get me to teaching games for understanding. Um, but my, my own personal sport was rugby. Um, I played, played rugby through, through high school and then in, in my adult life to a sort of reasonable amateur level, a sort of okay level. Um, and I loved playing rugby. I loved playing games of rugby on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, I really enjoyed that. But I didn't really enjoy rugby training. So we trained on a, a Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, and the rugby training I did, it was, it was very traditional and it was very skills-based and technique-based. Um, the coach had this sort of idea that, that he was the person that knew everything about rugby and it was his job to tell us how to pass the ball. Um, so we did lots of drills, uh, most of which were, were quite dull. And as I said, I didn't really enjoy the training as much. Um, there was a lot of standing behind cones, uh, doing sort of grid drills or, or quite complex passing drills. And um, I think as a team, if the final performance was doing one of these passing drills, we might have been one of the best teams in Scotland because we just did it all the time. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the final, the final performance is a game of rugby. Um, and actually, in a game of rugby, we were we were okay at passing, um, but in terms of the decision making um, and the tactical element of rugby, we weren't so good at. Um, and when you think about rugby, it's quite a, a sort of open, dynamic, and, and complex game where there's a lot of decision making required, and tactics are very important. But we didn't practice for that, and we didn't train for that in our training. Um, and all of a sudden, when the coach removed the cones and it was game time, um, we we weren't able to transition the skills we were learning in that closed environment into a game. Um, yeah, it's almost like you know, doing the repetition drills, you know what's coming next, you're not really having to make decisions, don't you know? Absolutely. And you know, every Tuesday and Thursday was almost the same, uh, with the exact same drills, uh, the same sort of grid drills, if you like. Um, but then in my final, my final year playing rugby, which was a couple of years ago now before I hung up my boots, the, the SRU sort of changed their coaching philosophy um, and they brought in this idea of, of coaching through the game and it's now a really big thing within in Scottish rugby. Um, they recognise the benefits to skill acquisition, tactical knowledge and motivation through, through playing through the game. Um, so I got to experience that in my sort of final year. I just wish I had the opportunity to to have experienced that um, longer sort of high school years. Uh, I think a lot of the knowledge of it sort of comes from, from futsal um, or street football in Brazil. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we all know that Brazilian players are some of the most skillful in the world when it comes to playing a game of football um, and they're able to sort of solve these novel situations that they find themselves in. And that's because they've learned to play the game and they've been in this small pitch um, on a hard surface with a small heavy football um, and that's what their training has been. It's not been grids or standing behind cones and um, so they've, they've mm -hmm. developed these skills as a result and um, so I think a lot of it comes from from that area um, and we're now seeing the, the benefits of that um, in, you know, in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that was the sort of start of the journey. Um, and then also, you know, in my PE lessons was, was quite drill-based, if you like. Um, I, was, I was a pupil that was always asking, when are we getting to play the games? Uh, I wanted, you know, the games were the good bits, so why are we not doing that? And it was often five minutes of a game at the end of a lesson. And that was, that was a good bit for me. So I became quite frustrated with that. Mm -hmm. um, so, I then sort of went on and discovered teaching games for teaching games for understanding at university, and, and for me it was a bit of a light bulb moment. It was it was quite refreshing to find out about that approach. 
um, I thought it, it sort of answered a lot of the questions to my own dissatisfaction with the rugby coaching and my PE lessons that I'd experienced and some of the uh, frustrations that I'd had. Uh, and to me, it just seemed like a, a blendingly obvious approach to use. Um, putting the game at the centre of your lessons, starting with a game, learning through the game, that, that really appealed to me. Um, so I went on, I did my, my dissertation on skill acquisition um, in fourth year at university, and I focused on something called a constraints-led approach to teaching PE, um, which has similarities to TGFU, um, because it's about manipulating the task. Um, was that called a constraints-led approach? Constraints led, yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a few sort of good good books on it. Um, Keith Davids has got a few good books on it. Constraints led pedagogy or constraints led approach. Um, so it's all about um, comes from the world of ecological dynamics, which sounds probably more complicated than it actually is. But it, it basically means our behaviour or an individual's behaviour is shaped by the environment that they're in. So um, you need to create an environment where learners um, can learn from that environment. It's not about the teacher giving the learners the answer or telling them what to do, but it's about um, manipulating the environment or manipulating the task to try and guide the learner to the solution. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's what I, I did my dissertation on. And I then went on and, and obviously I, I taught um, in Fife for a number of years and I used it with my, my first and third year classes. I've used it with my higher class all the time. Kids seem to like that approach. I mean, they're, they're very active throughout the lesson. They're, they're motivated to be um, involved in sort of competition all the time. Um, and, and I use it at university. And it always stirs up a nice bit of debate when I, I do a block of volleyball on TGFU at, at university and uh, the second years. They seem to quite like it. And I seem to get a bit of debate as to the sort of pros and cons and difficulties and challenges of using it with them. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a good one. So, so what would be the kind of key the principles then behind the model? Like, what things would would, would be in like a high quality TGF TGFU lesson? Yeah, um, I suppose I think some of the complications behind TG, TGFU and just just to start off to give a bit of context is it's been sort of changed over the years and the principles of it have, have changed and have been adapted. Um, there's, there's something called game sense, there's something called the tactical games approach, and then there's TGFU, and even TGFU itself has changed over the years. And I think sometimes teachers um, maybe find that a bit confusing because they don't know what the, the sort of core principles actually are. Um, and that's maybe why it's not been adopted as widely as some academics thought it would have been because they can see the benefits of it, but actually out in, in the P world, it's maybe not used as much as what they thought it would be. So mm -hmm. um, just, just to start off you know, with that. Um, so some of the, I'll sort of try and summarize some of the, the points that I used in my own practice, if that's yep. okay, and points Sounds that good. I used. Um, mm -hmm. so apologies if this isn't the sort of pristine format of TGFU, but this is what I used in, in my practice. Um, but the first principle is called representation. So that basically means um, creating a small-sided or modified game that's accessible to your learners. So depending on their, their age or their experience in the game, and it's about modifying the full adult version of, of the game and simplifying it um, so that it's accessible to them. So it's not playing an 11 v 11 full game picture football with your first year class and calling mm. it TGFU because that's not, it's not very accessible. Um, it's about um, simplifying that game. The important Importantly, this idea of representation is 
um, the game should still have some of those core tactical aspects of the main game. Right, okay. What I was speaking about earlier in terms of the environment being important, it's important the learners in the environment during practice that they're going to be in for the final performance so that they're able to pick up on something called affordances, which is basically opportunities to move. So learners can pick up on these opportunities in their environment and that they can then search and discover a solution to it and they can then use that in the, the final performance. And so that the teacher's role is is as I say, making the full game more accessible to, to the young mm -hmm. people in your class. Um, so would that be having something like a like a three v two in rugby, like going up and uh, down the, the side of the pitch through the yeah, game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know that that would definitely fall under TGFU, particularly if you know maybe you're focusing on um, possession. You know, a common mm -hmm. one with possession is to to change the numbers of attackers compared to defenders. And that means because there's more attackers, they, they learn what they need to do to beat the defenders. So they learn that they need to move off the ball, they need to maybe make shorter passes, they need to change the direction of the pass. Um, if it was a 4v4, they'd maybe find that quite difficult to discover that solution. So as a teacher, you need to make it accessible and doing something like a 4v2 would show them those affordances, it would show them those opportunities to move. Um, and then you'd maybe make it a 4v3 and then eventually a 4v4. Um, but starting off with a 4v4 um, might be too challenging for them. Am I, am I on the right lines to, like, because I've got a, like, I've done some, I've got a, a TGFU book up the stairs and stuff that I've been um, kind of dipping in and out of trying to, like, wrap my head around it. Um, but is it, like, see, like, your first game form that you do, is that to almost highlight, like, in volleyball, for example, like, one I've just been trying to kind of teach recently through TGFU is almost trying to highlight the, the areas that they need to get better at. So that's where they see the value within the skills practices. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think a, that's a good, a really good point, uh, Lewis. I think a good way to do TGFU is think what the problem is or what the key bit of learning is and then work backwards. Um, mm. So don't just think, oh, I've done a 4v2 in my football practice at night. I'll do that with my first year class. Um, mm. Because that's just doing a condition game for the sake of doing a condition game. Yeah. So think what, what you're trying to get the learners to learn. And um, so what's your learning intention or what, what's the problem you're trying to address and then work backwards. So if the, if the problem is possession, then how can you manipulate or change the game that's going to encourage them to learn about what they need to do in terms of possession without the teacher actually prescribing um, how to carry out that technique. So it's, it's about setting movement problems and letting the learners make mistakes and learn mm -hmm. mistakes um, in the environment that they're in. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, do you want me to go over another couple of the... Aye, 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 absolutely. Just, just under that one, representation, I would, I would just say, and this is a common one that I see, because I do quite a lot of placement visits, I go out and watch students teach. Um, I would say if you're doing a TGFU lesson, then really embrace the game being at the start of your lesson so it's, it's the start and the center of your lesson sometimes i go and watch students teach and they they, they do a warm-up drill drill and then they have sort of five minutes for a game at the end and they say that's tgfu at the end for me that's not really tgfu and um, tgfu really you know the learning is through the game so you need to start your lesson off with a game and declutter your lesson give the pupils time to play and, and to practice and to make mistakes and to learn and like what I said earlier with the rugby example, the, the final performance is a game, so your practice needs to mirror that. Um, 
Would it just be a small-sided game then? That that's again a common one, Clark. Yeah, small-sided games are often mean it's quite accessible for the learners. That's certainly one uh, that, that I use quite a lot when I'm teaching volleyball. And you know, obviously, our final game of volleyball is a six-v-six game. I start very very simply with a one-v-one game of throwing and catching. So the aim of the game is to try and uh, throw the ball over the net and try and get it to land on your opponent's side of the net. Um, so a very simple passing and moving game. Mm -hmm. The learners or the students very quickly realise that if they throw the ball low to the net, or some of them even jump up and throw the ball downwards over the net, that's actually pretty good problem solving. Um, mm -hmm. so they're learning about the flight path involved um, with the ball, and they also learn about maybe playing one short over the net and then one to the back of the court and then to the front. So they start to learn about moving the opposition around. Yep. Um, thinking about you know, what I've said about manipulating the task, if you make that court narrower and longer, um, the students then realise actually if I play one really to the far back of the court and then to the front, I can catch that opposition player off guard. So you're you're guiding them to the space in the court by maybe changing the boundaries. And um, you can mm -hmm. another way of manipulating the task um, is by changing the number of players. So you might make instead of it being a one v one, you change it to a two v two, and you might add in a rule that they're allowed to um, pass the ball to their partner. And the students will then discover that actually if they um, throw the ball nice and high and accurately to their partner, it gives them time to catch it. But then the shot over the net is going to be really low to the net and downwards to give the opposition less time. Start to learn the principles of, of a final game of volleyball, essentially, which is that the ball should be nice and high yeah. on your side of the net. And when the ball goes over the net, you know, thinking about a spike in the full game, it should be going downwards and be quite powerful. So yeah. it's very basic. 1v1 or 2v2 throw and catch game, you're starting to, to develop some of these um, tactical elements. Um, you can then get out of the learners that if they move the ball from the back of the court to the front, to their teammate at the front, and then it goes over the net, they can actually play a more accurate shot over the net because they're closer to the target area. Mm -hmm. And by being at the front of the net, um, it's actually a, a, a shorter shot, if you like, so the ball's not in the air for as long, mm -hmm. um, so it's more successful. And if you think of a, an Olympic 66 game of volleyball, these are the principles. It's about transitioning from defence at the back of the court, playing the ball high to the front of the court, and then downwards um, and into space when it goes over the net. So they're the, they're the principles of volleyball. Mm -hmm. You're breaking it down to, to a very simple game that's accessible to the learners. Uh, you got to say something, Clark? No, no, just uh, thanks for sharing those uh, examples. That was, that was really good to hear. You know the actual practical and how how it how it can be set up in a lesson. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. it can be quite hard to picture some of the principles in action. But that was thanks for doing that. No problem. I guess some, on you go. Sorry, on you go, brody. So I was just going to mention. Um, you know, for me, the the role of the teacher changes a little bit with TGFU, and that your job is to set problems or to set tasks. Mm -hmm. It isn't to to sort of demonstrate or give feedback on what the solution is. So again, thinking about a game of volleyball, um, it doesn't really matter what skill or technique the, the learners are using, um, as long as they're scoring a point to win. So you're, you're prescribing the task, you're telling them what the task is, and you're, you're maybe changing that task, and that's what your job is as a teacher. You're changing the rules, you're changing the playing numbers to try and lead them to the, to the solution, you're trying to guide their learning to that solution. Um, you're, you're not demonstrating a model performer or telling them um, in terms of the skill as to what they should be doing. Um, so, so I think the rules are redefined. Um, some might call it a hands-off approach. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really like that term because for me, it, it, you know, some people think, oh, I'm just going to set up a game and call it TGFU. But it's actually the teacher still got a really important role, and um, it's just a different role where you know your job is to manipulate the task, and it's to change the task to try and guide the learning, and it's not to prescribe the and solution see, to the task. See through that guiding process, then what is the kind of role? Is it is it all about the questioning then, and, and trying to get them to think about how to solve the problem of getting the ball over the net with more power, for example, or? I think so, yeah. Um, I, I suppose that, that's a good question, Clark, and that another one of the principles that I've not mentioned yet is called exaggeration. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that means you're changing the game, for example, the rules, the equipment, um, the pitch or the court size, um, in order to try and promote a certain behaviour to emerge. So you, you can understand why that word exaggeration is used there. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that, that relates to some of the examples I've used around manipulating the task. Um, so you might change the height of the net, you might make it a bigger ball, a smaller ball. Mm. But you need to think about why you're changing the game. Um, are you just changing it for the sake of changing it? Because mm -hmm. that's not really leading them to a, to a solution. Um, you want to be changing that game in such a way that's leading them towards the final game. So maybe there's a tactical um, problem with your class or something they're not understanding. So you're creating a game that's going to help them to understand that a bit better. And maybe your example, Clark, earlier of the 4v2 in football, if, if your problem's possession, that would be a really good um, task constraint to manipulate there. Yeah, so just giving them an overload so they can see it happening first. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's great to see that it can, like, it can be as simple as like a 1v1 game or because that's maybe where I've maybe kind of went wrong previously is thinking about oh game form it's got to be like that almost next to the full game um, but it doesn't need to be as long as it's like you're putting them in a competitive environment it's got the same similarities and features as the game and there's that wee element of competition as well because let's be serious that is the fun stuff mm -hmm. that you, you want to be doing and it highlights those maybe those skills that they're that they actually do need to maybe work on a wee bit more to Highlights those problems that they need to solve and where they need to, where they need to get better to get success when playing the actual game. I suppose. Yeah, because a lot of my classes struggle with technique-wise actually trying to play the full game anywhere near mm -hmm. um, to a standard that's yeah acceptable. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a good point, Clark, and it's something that I have a debate with my students quite a lot at the end of the TGFU block because they say, "How can we start with a game of volleyball?" Um, if we don't know the technique of doing a volley or a spike, surely we need to know those skills first. Um, but coming from this ecological dynamics perspective that I've spoken about, um, actually learning skills in the, in the game environment is very good for skill learning because learners are able to pick up on information in their environment um, and they're able to learn the skill based on that environment. And um, it takes into account individual characteristics so why would we present a, a model performer of an elite performer doing you know an olympic spike in volleyball with your first year class are you expecting your s1 people to be able to spike the ball like that mm -hmm. um, why are you trying to get them to replicate that movement pattern because it's not it's not specific to them it's not a good solution for them so actually learning through tgfu it allows them to come up with their own solution in terms of skill and um, so they'll develop their own skill mm -hmm. as a result of being in this game uh, and in terms of you know making the game accessible you know doing the throw and catch game that i've mentioned um, but you're in the 2v2 so you're allowed to throw and catch to your partner but the shot over the net it needs to be some sort of rebounding or volleyball shot and that's how i teach it i don't even say a spike or a volley 
and I don't teach a striker a volley. I just say the ball must rebound off your hands in some way. And it's quite amazing that the sort of solutions that the students come up with, they, they do all sorts of different things, um, but that's part of them learning. They're experimenting um, and, and they're coming up with a solution that's unique to them. Mm -hmm. And think about the world of elite sport, it's full of examples of um, people coming up with unique solutions to the problems. The most famous, uh, Dick Frosby with the Frosby flop, you know, he came up yeah. with a solution which, which was quite different from the traditional scissors kick or mm. um, a hundred meter sprint even, you know, think about Michael Johnson and Usain Bolt and two of the, the fastest runners in the world, but they've both come up with very different solutions to the problem of run a hundred meters as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. Usain Bolt's quite, quite tall with long limbs, so he sort of bobs side to side whereas uh, Michael Johnson was quite stable and quite rigid in his technique. So because they've got a different physique, um, they've both come up with really different skill solutions to the task. Mm -hmm. and I think that's what we should be doing um, with our learners that we teach in schools, let them come up with their own solution. So rather than an S1, try to teach them to spike and they can't even reach the net yet, that's, that's not good. It looks productive, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Come up with their own solution. Mm -hmm. I like... Sorry, you go. No, you've got one. No, it's like um, the classic one just now is Bryson DeChambeau in golf. He's like changing the, the game completely with his massive monster drives. Aye, like, rather than like going straight across the water and all that, that shot that he played, I think, was it maybe in the Masters that he did that? So oh, that was amazing. He just skimmed it. But that, aye, my, my, that's what it was. I was going to, you kind of touched on it there, Brody, about. Not even like I was like, is there a time and a place to go in and show them the correct technique and stuff? But you kind of covered that there, saying it's almost like just letting them find a way that works best for them to mm. to get it back over. And if it is successful for them, then why is that necessarily the the wrong way to do it? You know? Yeah, that's that's how I have used it. That's probably the, the extreme example of it. And um, I think under that, you know, the the way TGFU was first sort of founded, if you like, it was to do the game first and then to do the, the skill and technique after. Um, but coming from, from what I've learned about skill acquisition, actually the best way to learn skills is, is in the environment because you're able to pick up those perceptual cues in your environment and coordination emerges as a result of the environment you're in. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, it's not cognitive, it's not prescribed from the teacher. Um, so the more time you can give learners in that game environment, then the better for skill learning. So, so I actually don't spend much time um, <clears throat> on the sort of skill aspect of it. I do do uh -huh. one session on it because I know students going out to schools are often expected to teach um, the skills first, and that's often a pressure from maybe an observing teacher or the department and that they expect to see um, the logical order of teach the volley, teach the serve, teach the dig, teach the spike, right? You can play, you can play games in the final week. Um, so I, I want to equip my students in case that pressure is there, but I always encourage them to, to start lesson one with games. Um, but the important thing is to, to tell the department and tell the observing teacher that this is your um, philosophy, this is your pedagogy, this is your idea yeah. for doing it. Um, so it's important they know that, so they're not giving you feedback saying, why have you not given a model performer? Why have you not taught the volley first? Um, so being mm -hmm. able to justify why you're going about your teaching in that way. I think it's important for a student teacher going out there. Do you think, there's a t do you think there is a time and a place though for to, like if you've got a pupil that's going absolutely horribly wrong and he's just not getting it at all, do you think there's like a time and a place to go in and like give them those wee pointers if you're saying it's all about them trying to learn and experience it themselves or do you just, just persevere with it? 
I think uh, that's that's a good point, Lewis. I think with this approach I'm speaking about, you do need to be quite patient. Yeah. Um, you have to allow the learning environment to be quite messy. You have to accept there's going to be quite a lot of mistakes that are going to happen. Um, you're maybe not going to have that normal control that you have with drills. Um, yeah. You have, to, you have to see these mistakes that are happening as part of the learning process. So that is them discovering um, their environment, that is them experimenting, that is them finding out their own solution. Um, so, so don't expect a, a quick fix. Uh -huh. uh, but, but Lewis, yeah, to come back to your question, you know, I have done that. If, if there's just like an obvious answer that you just need to tell the people, just try this, just try and point your elbows out a bit or extend your elbows through as, as you volley the ball. You know, I have found myself doing that, which when I'm speaking about this approach, maybe wouldn't be in line with it. But, mm. you know, you don't need to be doing TGF units. It's pristine form. You can blend different teaching styles and models into it. So if you, you know, if in your professional opinion, if that is going to solve the, the problem quite quickly, then that might be something you decide to do. Yeah, because like, that's always been a bit of a debate, isn't it? When we've ever had people on speaking about like the models and stuff, and they're talking to us a bit about the principles and things, is do you really need to stick to it one hundred percent rigidly, or um, is it okay just to take bits from the model and have some form of structure of it? You know, it's hmm. yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, my my thoughts with TGF, you are you do need to have an idea of some of the principles. You need to know where you're going with your class and and how you're doing that. Um, because otherwise, as I say, you, you see people just doing a 6v6 game of volleyball and you call it yeah. a few, which it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, if you, I mean, you could be doing a sport ed block where you've got um, your class in different teams with their team name and chant and all the rest of it. And then the games are done through TGFU and they're working through these conditioned games that build up. You know, the rules change, the playing numbers change week by week. So that, that would be a, a sort of blended approach, if you like. I would have nothing against that. Yeah, yeah. taking me back from every model. So... So what have we got then? Representation, exaggeration, any, what was the other one? Any more? There's, um, there's one called, the next one I suppose is, which we might want, is, is questioning. Mm -hmm. um, that's obviously a, a key principle of TGFU. Um, would you encourage your students to have like, the questions planned based on the lesson that you're teaching? I, th I think that, that would be a good idea, Clark. Yeah, I think that yeah. would... I think having a few questions there would be good. Um, sometimes things happen in your lesson that you hadn't prepared for, obviously. Um, yep. So maybe you've got plenty, all... plenty of things. Ah, uh, yes. You know, say, say Clark, for your 4v2 example in football, uh, you might have one footballer in the class who's part of that group of four mm -hmm. and he's not passing the ball, he's hogging the ball. So you need to think on your toes and you need to think. How can I change this task? How can I manipulate the task to, you know, to help this game? So you might say, right, uh, we Jimmy, you're only getting two touches on the ball, so your second touch must be a pass. So then we Jimmy can't hog the ball. And you've then got we Tom, who's maybe not so good at football, he's never played football before, um, and he's getting tackled as soon as he gets the ball. So when Tom gets the ball, he's allowed his first um, two touches for free. You can't tackle him until he's taken those first two touches. So you sometimes need to be quite reactive based on what you're seeing in your lesson and, and put conditions based on what's presenting you. I think having a, you know some pre-planned questions and tasks is is certainly important. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the challenge with I think I always try and do that. But I think the challenge with that is I don't know if you experience it, Lewis, is getting them to understand that you're doing it to help them. Whereas you know, they'll say, "Oh, that's not fair," or mm -hmm. you need to treat them all the same, which 
People voice principles as well. It's sort of mixes up, but the, I think the kids feel as if you're. Or even, I, or even doing it to challenge, to challenge the more able ones. It's like I'm doing this to actually because you're finding this easy. I'm trying to challenge you, but it's our job to try and make you better and challenge yeah. you, put you in a more challenging environment because you're obviously finding this too easy. But it's completely unfair on the other team. I know, I know. It's just trying to make them aware that that's that's why we're doing it. Yeah, and like like I said earlier, you know, telling the observing teacher, you can tell your pupils as well, you know, why you're learning in this way. We're, we're not just doing games for the sake of games, because it's fun. We're actually learning about the tactics of the game through what I'm planning out here as a teacher. And, and part of that is going to be, I'm going to be asking questions. Um, and, and for me, questions in TGFU, they're all about, um, you know, what did you do and why did you do that? So in the 1v1 game of volleyball, um, you know, some pupils will automatically play one at the front and then play one at the back without really thinking about it. So it's about saying, why did you do that? Yeah. Move, that was to move the opposite player about and it was to try and then attack the space. And then when you start getting these really good answers, you're, you're sharing that learning with the rest of the class. And then you're saying, right, so we've discovered about attacking space from this group. Let's all try that. Let's all put that into practice. And then someone else says, oh, I didn't do that. I, I actually jumped up at the front of the net and threw the ball down quite powerfully. And, the other groups haven't thought of that, so it's about then sharing that tactic and getting them to try it. So it's, it's saying, what did you do? And then can you justify why you did that? Or can you defend why you did that? And then sharing that learning, sharing those questions with the rest of the class and getting the rest of the class to, to practice some of these tactics or some of these solutions mm -hmm. that the learners are coming up with. Nice one. Thanks for that, Brody. Okay. Right, so moving on, I'll... Um, you've kind of covered this a, a wee tiny bit in relation to the questions, but I guess what I'm saying is that it could seem quite tricky for some teachers um, to implement maybe this model for the first time. And you touched on it nicely, you're saying how you need to be patient, it can be quite messy. And that could, I think that's what maybe could put teachers off it, in my opinion. Um, ever, if I've ever tried it before and maybe I'm not stuck at it, maybe that's probably the reason why I've found it. I think that you just feel like you've got a wee bit more control using the kind of traditional model. Um, you feel like you've got. Like you've got that plan in place, you know how the lesson's going to progress. Um, so do you, what do you think that if there's any other barriers that you can think of um, that can appear as a result of trying to use TGFU? Um, I, think, I think teacher knowledge of what the final game actually is, is a, a, a often discussed barrier to TGFU. So if, you, if your final performance is that 11 v 11 game of football, you need to know how that game's played and what the tactics are in order to then manipulate or create conditions in your game to guide them to that point. Um, so if you don't have a good understanding of the final game, um, you might be putting conditions on a game that are leading them down a blind alley. You know, you're, yeah. you're putting them to the wrong place. Um, so, so you need to you know, either be either have a good knowledge of the game or upskill yourself to, to learn about that game so that you can then um, put these conditions on it. Mm -hmm. But, but like what I said earlier, start your lessons with, you know, as you know, your learning intention, but what, what do you want the learners to learn and work backwards? Um, so, so work backwards from that point and that, that should help with that. If, if possession's the issue, then think about a smaller pitch, think about more attackers and defenders. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Lewis, you're, you're quite right. Teachers prefer um, order or they sometimes prioritise social control in their classrooms. Yeah. Um, they, they sometimes get a bit scared of handing responsibility over to the learners with something like TGFU, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable or scary for some of them. Um, and you know, 
some PE teachers maybe feel they need to justify their existence, they need to be really vocal in lessons and constantly be given feedback and telling the learners how to do things. So it's, it's a sort of mindset shift, if you like. Yeah. Um, but I, th I think it's important they're able to do that. Um, and I think also, you know, especially thinking about what schools like just now, um, there's, there's ecological factors, you know, you might only have single periods. The kids might take a long time to get changed just now. Um, you might have 33 kids in a small gym hall and teaching and learning under those circumstances are very, very challenging, particularly mm. trying to teach through TGFU. And that's, that's a challenge and, and a difficult thing to overcome. Yeah. I so uh, do you think it's more suited to like smaller class size? Do you think the, the environment has to be ideal or have you seen it happen and be successful in like, for example, a, a small gym with a, a larger class or Yeah, I have I have seen it done in a small uh, a small gym with, with a big class. It's tricky though, you really need to plan out yeah. what your tasks are gonna be and you, you need to be quite creative about that. So that's certainly um a barrier if you're lucky enough to have a games hall or a, you know, a full pitch and things that it makes your life a lot easier and yeah. so you know you need to you need to be quite creative you're only limited by your own creativity with tgfu and there's not set conditions or set things you should be doing and but as a teacher you need to be observing what's happening in your lessons and and thinking about how you're addressing those problems that are that you're seeing the problems that are being presented to you mm -hmm. So what, what sports have you seen it work uh, best with? Um, that's a good question. I think I, I enjoy personally teaching it through um, volleyball, which is obviously a, a central net game. And, and another of the principles of TGFU is that um, the tactics for all central net games are going to be similar. So you can transition your class from what they learn in volleyball um, to, to tennis. Um, or any other central net game so mm -hmm. um, but also obviously invasion games team yep. invasion games and you know learning the tactics of football and then transitioning them to hockey um, yep. a lot of similar principles can be taught uh, but there's also a little bit about um, you know target games things like like golf which you maybe don't immediately think of when you think about um, TGFU, but it's, it's about very much putting the learner, again, in the environment, uh, focusing on what the outcome is, so not focusing on uh, the skill itself or um, uh, the subroutines, but focusing on, on the outcome um, of that task and putting the learner in that environment, not, not decoupling the skill, so you wouldn't practice the skill without a ball or you wouldn't practice the backswing by itself, it's important mm -hmm. to have all parts of it this, um, there in practice. Yep. in order to mimic that final performance. Sounds good. Brilliant. Um, so you've kind of shared a wee bit about some of the, the barriers there then that we might face, I suppose, when trying to teach TV, TGFU. What are then, I'm going to have to ask you, what are some of the, the common myths that you that you kind of hear about teaching TGFU, try to use this model? Um, I think uh, I've, probably, I've maybe covered a few of them already, but I think a lot of my students think you know, sometimes just label a game at the end of their lesson as TGFU, um, and for me that's that's not TGFU. Um, it's it's more than that. So, so please don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I think you know I also mentioned earlier that putting the game at the very start of your lesson and having that at the centre of your lesson and that's your focal point. That's your that's where you're doing your teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. is, is really really important and. 
speaking about some of these barriers, I mean, you don't have to be an expert in all of these principles of TGFU to, to put the game at the center of your classes and to try TGFU. I'd encourage all my students and all the teachers out there to, to give it a go and to try teaching through the game and try not to, to overcomplicate it or, or over or confuse yourself, if you like, mm -hmm. with these different principles. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's just keeping it simple and like like you said, just having having those couple of questions that you just plan those two two questions or whatever that you um that are obviously going to help support the learning and what you're trying to get across and teach to the to the pupils. Um, so I think that's a good point about trying not to make it overly complex. That could put you off straight away um, from yeah. that and kind of sticking to it, I suppose, and trying it again with other classes. Absolutely, and I've seen I've seen TGFU done with like you know football, and they've got gates over the pitches, and they've got spikes, and and they've really gone overboard with like the equipment they've been using, and the kids don't really know what they're doing. The teacher maybe doesn't know exactly what what message they're trying to get across. Um, so think what your final game is, um, think what that final performance is, and then simplify it, make it accessible. And you're trying to teach them towards that final performance. Um, mm -hmm. You don't need to overcomplicate it with loads of equipment and cones and, and concepts and teach through what that game is and use questioning around that and put conditions on the game as you see it unfold in front of you. So, so see then in terms of like your learning intentions and success criteria, obviously we like traditional methods and as today we are learning how to perform a volley pass in volleyball. Would it be something that along the lines of like the tactical problem that you're trying to, could that be like set as your, your learning intention? So we're learning about how we can maintain possession in basketball or something like that. And then is that, is, I'm on the right lines with that here or? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually don't think your learning intention needs to change much with TGFU mm. to what it would normally be. Um, TGFU is just your vehicle, it's your, it's your model um, to get them to that point. So your learning intention could still be about learning the volley in a game of volleyball, mm. but the way you're, you're developing it is through games. Uh, yeah. Introducing rather than a throw and catch, okay, now that final shot over the net, that needs to be some sort of volleyball shot. Um, and you're, you know, one one player might do it with one hand, and they're not getting much control. And then you might use a demonstration of a people doing it with two hands, and you're getting them to experiment and sample different ideas, um, and and they're learning that technique for themselves rather than you prescribe the solution to them. Um, I think that's that's a good question, but I think your learning intention doesn't change much. It's, it should still be in line with. The CFE experiences and outcomes or yes. the sales, um, but TGF use your vehicle for getting the learners to that point. Cool. Yeah, I think I think you made a good point about the the games at the start. I think I like, I like that because it creates that motivation to get in the lesson as well, doesn't it? Especially when times so so scarce. It's especially with the changing rooms. Um, trying to get them changed quickly and into a game it creates that wee bit of competition at the start of your lesson. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think think what you would want to do as a pupil in your PE class, um, and I'm sure a lot of us would say, you know, you enjoyed games. So why are, we not, why are we not starting with that? Why are we not trying to excite and engage um, our learners through playing games? And it, it doesn't mean you're, you're a worse teacher or less of a teacher or you're uh, being lazy or any of these things. As I say, your role is not diminished with teaching games for understanding, but your role changes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, changes what, you, what you do. Mm -hmm what you do when they're in the game and what you're saying to them. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's times when you need to stand back and observe, but there's, you know, for those times you need to step in and ask questions or change the game. That's, that's really important for learning. Um, and, you know, that shouldn't be devalued. Yeah. Brilliant, Brody. Thanks for sharing such a, a, a good insight into TGFU and giving loads of really, really good um, examples that can be taken away and actioned on, I suppose. Um, I get a question that we've kind of asked all of our, our um, guests that we've had on that have been lecturers was in relation to, obviously, PE post-COVID. So what does the future of PE look like, in your opinion, obviously, after everything that's just happened, now that we're, we're coming out of the, the end of this crazy time? Um, for me, I think um, everything that's been going on, health is going to become more prominent in, in PE. Um, many of us, or I certainly was in a health and well-being faculty. I don't know if you guys are in PE departments or in faculties. Faculties. Faculty. 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 Mm -hmm. It's taught. It's taught by the PE department. That's a new course that we've rolled out this year. Mm -hmm. um, but we had Ian Stanger on, didn't we? Who they, they get three periods of PE a week. I think one's health and wellbeing, and two is PE. But I think they just do more PE in the health and wellbeing, mm -hmm. which is great. It's a good model. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I'm, I'm a wee bit uh, behind the times with my answer here by saying health because it's already changed or is changing. But yeah. I think I think it's going to continue to go in that direction because obviously in, in society we're talking about health more, particularly mental health. So when um, governments look to build this into school curriculums, you know, the faculty of health and well-being is a natural place for that to sit. Um, which which I think is, you know, I think obviously mental health is important. Um, and I think that's good that it's been discussed in, in schools. Um, my fear or, or my hope, to put a positive spin on that, my hope is that P doesn't lose what appealed to me as, as a young person and that was high quality physical activity and learning it was um, learning about um, all the different sports that are available for me i was i was taught rugby in high school in my pe lessons i then um, joined the local rugby club i trained tuesday thursday played games on a saturday so i got the benefits of being a member of a community and um, i got the, the mental health benefits of that of having friends within that community. I've got the physical benefits of you know, training or playing two or three times a week. Um, so that was all a knock-on effect from um, you know, being taught PE to a good level at high school. Mm -hmm. So I think if we, you know, if we fail to do that, then we might lose some of those benefits of, of lifelong physical activities. It's important we're teaching these different activities. Um, and you know, coming back to TGFU, that's, that's a good way of doing it. It's a good way of attracting young people to these sports and, and hoping that they'll they'll uh, take them up in later life. Let's mm -hmm. try to, try to um, hook them with it, isn't it? And trying to convey our passion and how much it's kind of benefited us and played a massive role in our life and um, the joy that we get from it almost. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're all passionate about it. And us as PE teachers, we've all seen the benefits of it. So it's about trying to share that passion with, uh, with, our, with our classes who maybe don't realise that yet. Um, so I, I think you need to to get the learners to a certain level within these sports and within these activities for them then to access things like clubs and to even really appreciate the game and to be, to be playing to a reasonable level. And that's certainly something that's that's benefited me massively in my life of being able to join a, a club. I don't play rugby anymore, but I, I do a lot of road cycling and, and road racing. So I've 
I've joined a, a road bike club, my local cycling club. So I'm a sort of mm. active member of that now because I, I know the benefits of that, of, of yeah. being part of a community and contributing to that. Um, and I, I don't think if I had been taught rugby to a pretty good level at high school, any of this might have happened. So that's, you know, this is an example of, of lifelong physical activity. It's almost like it, it gives you the confidence because you maybe feel good in one sport or it just gives you the confidence to go and try other things because you, right. you obviously enjoyed it. And, and you've been, like, like you say, you were taught it to a good level. But um, I, that's what I would think. So I'm, like, I feel confident to go and try, try out different sports. And like, I enjoy doing that, trying out new things. And um, that's obviously the, one of the, the positives about it as well. Absolutely, yeah. So that, that would be my sort of fear with, with this, you know, with health coming into the curriculum. I hope, we, I hope we still get time to do what we see as PE alongside health. I hope, I hope they make time for that in the curriculum. I hope we don't give up physical activity and, and traditional PE time um, because we might then only get small samples of activities and we don't get a true appreciation of what they actually are. And then we maybe fail to take them up in, in later life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, not, there's nothing better though when you're working through a block of an activity and it's a bit messy in the first few weeks and then they start to get the game. You can just feel the energy in the room and everyone's smiling more and enjoying it. There's nothing, there's no better feeling than that when they start to get it. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's amazing and you know you have to be patient with things like TGFU and it is messy at the start. There's balls flying all over the place when you're doing your volleyball lesson and you're thinking this is a, mm-hmm. don't see that as a bad lesson though. You sometimes think this is awful. Uh, you know, learning is somewhere between um, sort of stability and chaos, if you like, and it's about finding that right balance where there's there's some mistakes being made, and um, which which demonstrates some learnings happening. Um, but it's not just complete mayhem, um, but also it's not success every time. So with my rugby training, a, a successful session was when nobody dropped the rugby ball. The coach was saying that was brilliant, no mistakes tonight, lads. Um, but actually, maybe that meant. We weren't trying new things, we weren't experimenting, we weren't pushing our comfort zones. Mm-hmm. So I think don't be afraid of these mistakes early, early on in the block. Um, that, that means they're searching and learning. And the hope, like you say, Clark, when you get to your final week, you've got some uh, pretty good games going on at the end. That's a, that's a goal, but uh, I like your mindset on that there and how you've, you're transferring it from your own experience into the, how, how you're teaching as well. So I'm interested to hear what you think of the last question then. So... In your opinion, Brody, what makes a high-quality teacher? This is something that uh, when I did my probation year, the head teacher said a lot, and I really didn't understand it much at the time, but started to understand it a lot more as I became a more experienced teacher. Um, And that was the standards you set are the standards you get. And so what that basically means is setting high standards for your class. So if you expect good behaviour and you expect your class to turn up on time and you expect everyone to be in PKIT and you expect high levels of effort throughout the lesson, then kids will amaze you and they'll actually live up to those expectations. And so mm-hmm. if you set these really high standards for pupils, um, you'll find that they'll actually try and meet them generally. Um, but as soon as you lower your expectations and start to allow wee bits of bad behaviour and kids being late and someone's not got their kit and you know you've not set a very high standard for them then they'll start that'll be the standard so they'll start to meet yeah. that standard instead and I've maybe been there myself sometimes with some classes and then I've had to sort of readdress it if you like when I've got a bit too relaxed and so I think it's really important as a teacher that you're you're setting these high standards for your classes 
and and kids will understand that and you know over a long period of time they'll, they'll start to meet those standards that you're setting for them yeah i think that's a great point you've made and it's, it's hard work it's hard to be consistent all the time and right on it all the time um as you said i've been in that situation where sometimes you need to readdress some some situations and some classes and bring them back back up to that level but that's a great um quote i like that one yeah absolutely clark i mean you sometimes feel when you're telling the same kid in your class to bring their key kit like the third and fourth time that it's going in one year and out the other um but at some point you know you're hoping that they will and it's sometimes a long journey to get to that point but as soon as you don't ask them to bring their PE kit in uh, then they're never going to bring it, so you've yeah. lost them. So you need to keep doing it. Uh, you need to be relentless, don't you? That's we had that conversation the other day. Like you just need to keep, just be a nag, just keep doing it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I think you always need to believe that, that penny will drop, and it, nine times out of ten, I'm sure it does. Yeah, it does. Hopefully, you know, having been at one school for seven years, and then I worked with guidance. I was I was year ahead for six years, so seeing that journey from first to sixth year and some of the kids that I used to nag all the time. And then seeing what they were like in six years was actually quite quite a, an eye-opening and amazing transformation. Uh, you know, some of them mature. Of course, you always maybe lose one or two who go the, go the other way, but uh, yeah. it's our jobs to, to make sure we're, we're doing these things properly and, and setting high standards. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for uh, talking us through the DGFU and some of your insights on um, what makes a good teacher. So thanks very much, Brody. No problem. Thanks, guys. That, that brings us on to the, the final part of our podcast that we have with all of our guests, and that's the, the quick fire round of three questions. So, three quick questions with just kind of off the cuff answers, Brody. So, okay. are you ready? I'm ready. Cool. Number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Oh, well, I'm really into my road cycling, um, and I cycle out to East Lothian quite a lot from Edinburgh, so I'd put a big billboard up and I'd just tell motorists to give cyclists more space and um, <laughs> lots of exclamation marks after it because yeah. some cars like to brush up against your shoulder which is a little bit scary as a cyclist so uh, that's what I'd have just as I leave my house in Portobello going out to East Lothian a big warning to give me some space. Uh, yeah. Do you, do, do you tend to cycle in big groups or just kind of on your own? I do a bit of both actually through the week. I'm, I'm quite short for time, so I go with my turbo trainer in, in my office, uh, you know, an hour a night on that. And then at the weekend, I'm out in, in some groups, um, a, a club run on a Sunday and a, a sort of faster run on a Saturday morning. So, yeah, a bit of both. Brilliant. A, a bit of variety. Aye. Right. Number two Which people or books have had the, the biggest influence on your life? Uh, I'll go with uh, people, if that's all right, or people first. Uh, I've got a a young daughter, Rosie, she's two years old, um, and you guys might understand why I'm saying this if you decide to have kids at some point. Um, But she's just given me a different perspective on life, and it's no longer all about me and my sporting ambitions or my career ambitions, so so she now comes first. So it's, it's given me a totally different perspective and quite a refreshing outlook on life and probably one that I needed as well, so um, she's been my inspiration. Brilliant, love that. Final one then, number three, what top three tips would you give to a teacher just now to help them get started with a TGFU block? Okay, doc, I'll try and keep this uh, short and snappy. Uh, First one, don't see TGFU as a risk or an alternative. Don't be scared of it. So move beyond your comfort zone, um, and I think teachers should be using TGFU as part of their everyday pedagogy. So just start your lessons with a game, 
don't worry if you're doing TGFU um, in its pristine form or, or right, but understand some of those basic principles um, and then try to use them, but, but don't panic um, about that. And the third one, which I maybe mentioned earlier actually, was consider the experience of the learners in your class. So ask yourself, would I be enjoying this lesson? And if you're doing a, you know, a very stationary drills based lesson where there's lots of standing behind cones, personally for me, the answer to that would be no. So for me, TGFU is, is a, a pretty good solution to that. Um, so, so consider the experience of, of your learners in your class. Fantastic. Well, that kind of that, that rounds us off really well for um, tonight's episode on TGFU. So, Brody, just want to say thanks very much for giving up your time tonight to come on and chat to us and um, make another valid contribution to the the podcast. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks, Clark. Yeah, uh, come on, Brody. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Clark. Really like what you're doing with the podcast. As I say, I'm, I'm listening in. I have quite a few of them, so it's some really good stuff. Stay tuned for this week's takeaway messages from the boys at a wee bit of everything. Well, that brings us to another episode, the end of another episode, should I say, of a wee bit of everything, uh, where we have our classic takeaway messages. So, with Brody Runciman tonight, was talking about all things TGFU and how you can try this out within your own practice and give them um, some really good insight into the, the model itself. Um, Clark, what are your takeaway messages? Just before I move on to take a few messages, I've been speaking to a few folk that listen to the podcast and they're not so this. And I always go, I love your take home messages. <laughs> so you need to keep them going. So quote, some, quote unquote. Sometimes I quote unquote, sometimes if you're being honest with you, don't dread them because of the episode that, that it's been. It's just because when you come off the, the podcast, it's, um, it's just an actual thing that you think they're done, don't you? Sometimes we forget that we've got these coming up. But mm. we've kept them going every single one, so we'll not stop now. Uh, it's good to hear people are taking stuff from them as well. We'll, we'll keep taking away. <laughs> I've heard uh, some people just uh, fast forward straight to the takeaway messages. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> um, so mine would be from Brody, which was an absolute, absolutely brilliant episode. Loved uh, chatting with him there uh, on TGFU. Would be start, start your lesson with a game, especially if it is an invasion block or a central net game. Put where possible, or, or even badminton, just start start with a game. It creates that motivation for the kids to get and get changed, get into your class. Well, the ones that like PE anyway. Um, and then that allows them allows them to get into a small sided game. If it was football, into like a four v four, try and have them in their teams for when they come back um, into the lessons. So you don't need to, to sort them out. They can just get into a game straight away, and then that allows you to assess. Where do you think you should go next with your with your lesson? Or obviously have one planned with a few questions, as he was saying as well. Um, but then you can say that from looking at the game, here's what we're going to work on. So it looks as if you've been watching and, and assessing it and seeing where they need to go with their development. So now that would be it. I'm going to try that tomorrow. Get them straight into the game, see how it goes, create a bit of competition at the start, um, which is always always a good thing. Yeah, and just to touch on that, it's like I always thought it had to be almost like the full version of the game, but it's not. It's you're you're making it accessible, like Brody said, to the pupils you've got in front of you. So that could be something as simple as when you're doing volleyball, doing a simple throwing and catching game to get them to understand that um, the principles of how you actually attack and defend in volleyball. You're trying to attack the space and you're trying to defend the space. You know, so it doesn't necessarily need to be the full game where they're playing the volley sets, digs, all that sort of stuff. So it can be broken yeah. down into a very, very simplified version of it. 
um, but still yeah. got the element of competition, decision making, and you know that tactical awareness, things like that. Um, did, you, did, you, did you used to go into an 11s game, eh? Uh, straight away, six feet. I, I used to do um, I 11 aside with offside drill, had linesmen and all that. <laughs> Sports leaders then. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, that never happened. <laughs> um, I know, um, very, very good, succinct takeaway message there again. Getting Absolutely. No, get, we're getting, getting good at these. We're getting succinct, so let's see, <laughs> let's see if you can keep this succinct. What's yours? Uh, my key takeaway message from Brody, what he said tonight, um, was looking at the kind of barriers to using this model when teaching PE. And key thing that, that stuck out to me was that you need to be patient with it because it can be messy. It can There can be volleyballs going all over the place, but it's just because they've not learned how to play the sport, right? They've not, get that, they've not developed the, the skill set and the, the technique to play properly yet. So that can almost put put you off straight away. And I think that's where I've kind of fell down at the start when I've ever tried to um, use this model teaching it. So it's, I think it's something to bear in mind and that's just part of the learning process. So don't let that put you off. Be patient and um, stick at it. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.